Hello and welcome to the Football Fives. Three of us uh, this week, Ryan Keeney, thinks his dinner is more important than recording a podcast. That's how much he thinks of you listeners. Uh, joining me, David Hartrick, are to my virtual left, Daniel Storey. How are you? What you are, you alright? Yeah, not bad mate, not bad. And to my virtual right, it's Christopher Nee. How are you? Hello, yes I'm alright mate, how are you? Yes, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, Chris, are we swearing on this episode or not? Uh, let's not on this one. Uh, that's going to be an issue given question one for me. Uh, given the recent announcement of the uh, Premier League are looking into a staggered winter break, whereby football continues as clubs have a different, uh, basically rest at different times. Uh, to explain the idea that basically it's, is it, I mean, Dan, you'll probably know it inside out, but it, it's over a three, is it three and a half week period? Every yeah. team gets two weeks off, basically. basically but football yeah. continues throughout. Yes. Uh, Basically, do we think this is decent idea slash compromise? Dan? I am always against the idea of football not, you know, football not happening. Um, But that's because I'm a glutton for it. Um, But it's not that I've come around the idea of a winter break. I can just see if every stakeholder agrees that matters, which discounts fans and certainly armchair fans, um, agrees that it needs to happen and therefore we're just looking for a best case solution rather than solution yes or no, then I think this is probably the best solution. Um, it sates me in that there will still be games going on. It hopefully sates um, players who want a break and it hopefully, the only thing it won't say is you'll still have managers moaning that their break is timed at an inopportune time for them as and when fits their agenda. Um, but this season's the first season, I don't know, maybe maybe because winter break's been on the agenda and therefore I was looking for it, where I've really seen a difference in quality over the very, very busy period. And that's partly because we've had three rounds of games very quickly. Um, also because teams have bigger squads and therefore there's been a huge amount of change in team selection. Um, but yeah, the, it, it's felt different this year. Um, I think physio physio room. I had a look earlier. Physio room physio room dot com say that ninety three Premier League first team players are currently injured in squads at the moment. So just under five a squad, and they're first teamers. So it's clear that players would like a break, and it's World Cup year. So I can kind of side with it in that if it gives England the England team a break, as in comparison with Spanish and German and Italian, etc., then maybe I can get on board with it. But I'm very much offering my devil's advocate head there because I would prefer there not to be a break at all. Hmm. Chris? Um, probably coming from a similar point of view, but not quite as lenient. I think 
if if we need a compromise, then sure. But I don't particularly want to compromise. Uh, I, I think the quality is an interesting point, Dad, because I don't care about the quality of the Premier League because I don't think the games have been less entertaining because of it. Mm. I think they're still fun. And I think the league actually arguably might be more fun when there are um, the little sort of weird happenings that result from tiredness or, or from a team having players injured or whatever. Um, and all I want really in the, the winter break discussion is football, especially at Christmas. And, and um, you know, it's, it's, it's a positive that Christmas is untouched by this. Um, but I, I really want to believe that it's about the health of the players. And I really want to believe that it's about the, the quality of the national team. Um, but I don't believe that at all. I just don't believe that that's the motivation behind it. And um, I think there's a lot of assumptions that are made by the people who support it. And I think that a lot of um, excuses are made by managers and they would simply find different excuses um, when, when this comes in. If we want a, a sanitised top division where everything is done to make everything as perfect as possible, um, then at least this gives us some football all the time. Um, but I, I, I recognise that the tide is turning on the winter break. I don't agree with it and I don't think I, I particularly ever will agree with it until uh, you know it, it, it comes as part of a plan specifically for the England team, for example, something that roots it in something that I can get behind. Um, and I feel slightly bad about that because there is this nagging understanding within me that if two key England players go into a summer fitter than they would have done previously, then I will happily buckle my opinions and celebrate us winning the World Cup. Um, so if, if it turns out to be for the good of the national team, then I, I will soften on this pretty substantially, I would have thought. Um, but the thing that, that jumps out to me is where it comes from. Um, it is a Premier League thing. It is only going to apply in the first instance to the Premier League. Um, and that's a world unto itself anyway. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, we all know I'm against the idea of a winter break, but I'm not such a Luddite that I can't understand some very basic things in terms of rest and recuperation, etc. This is a tournament year, so I could see some sense in working in some sort of brief rest period while football continues. I don't have a massive issue with that, funnily enough. Um, but I, I think Dan's right. This year has felt different because they they weren't sensible with the fixtures and there were too many games I mean Sky were proudly boasting at Christmas that what was it was it something like 11 consecutive days Mm. there was a Premier League game Christmas fell weird this season live on Sky yeah Yeah, and it it just this year it just didn't work but I think we're in danger of sort of saying well because it worked didn't work this year you know we have to bring it in I don't think we do but particularly in tournament years I can see the sense of it my only issue with this is that we're doing it because there's too much football over winter and we need to we need to give players a break. These are the same players that can't play in the League Cup 
because there's too much football. So we put we we work the squad and put kids in in the League Cup, and they can't play in the FA Cup because there's too much football. So we use the squad and bring the kids in then, and we can't play in the Europa Cup because you know there's too much football. So, and as we get towards the back end of the season, they can't play in some league games because you've got to rest them for other games and Champions League games and. As we get towards the back end of the Champions League group stages, some players are rested. And I just, we're, we're living in this world where playing football is seen as a bit of a problem mm. <laughs> to these athletes. Like doing their job is seen as a bit of a problem. And it, it's, I get slightly frustrated because it just feels to me that it's another step towards complete separation of a prem, a, a, a effectively a super league to be honest i think that's where we all know football is going at some point and i don't know it just it just feels a little bit sad to me in those in those terms give the players a break over christmas fine but you know it's just another area where we're moaning about that playing football is a bit of a hindrance and that that to me as slightly old school setting me ways etc etc it just doesn't sit right with me but there you go how often are these clubs not fighting for autonomy? So yeah. let's if if you want to manage a big squad or change your team around over Christmas, then here's your opportunity. Take control mm. of your own destiny. Um, it's just after, some of, it's you, know, just, you are responsible for how you manage your players through this period of time, which is busier than other times of year. Yeah, it's but just. That, I mean, that, Dan, I, I I'm start, I'm interested to know how you. How you feel about take somebody like a uh, a Chelsea or a Manchester United, who, as we know, rest players for anything other than the Premier League and the very top level Champions League games, have huge squads, hoover up young players from around the area, have a lot of players out on loan, looking to bring in a winter break to give some of their top line pros a bit of a break. Yeah, but I'm not sure that my uh, my my issue with my opinion, which is that I don't want one, is that I don't think it is just Chelsea with their massive loan system wanting a winter break. I'm pretty sure, or you could take a a selection of managers from at any point in the Premier League, and I think they would say we want a winter break. I think, I know Eddie Howe says he would like one mm. and he's at Bournemouth and they've got a very thin squad. It seems to be um, getting closer to 20 every year. Yeah, mm. exactly. And and therefore, at that point, I kind of have to accept that even, maybe you're right, Chris. And in fact, I'm sure you're right. Maybe it's, you know, it's a, a Premier League selfishness thing. But I, I, at some point, have to consider that 20 or 18, 19, 20 Premier League managers know more about this situation than I do. Uh, and I also have to accept that I'm probably speaking as a fan that likes watching football as well as someone that is looking at this objectively. I'm not saying they are either, but if if that many managers say it, it you know, if this was a thing, that if this was just the top, the big six or the big four or whatever, pushing for it, a, a la, you know, a changing of broadcasting revenues, etc., then I would be bang against it. But it isn't, it's everyone and... Mm, that that's what that's the only thing that makes me think maybe this is me being me. Did I see yeah. the sorry Dave? Did I see that the FA Cup fifth round replays are going? 
Yes. Yeah, is that just the fifth round? I think it's... Is it fourth round and after? Yeah. That makes more sense. I think... I mean, that there shouldn't be replays in the FA Cup. That is that is just common sense. Yeah, and even there, it can't be round by round. I don't think. Yeah, yeah and I again, mean, not there, even I can make a case for that. But mm. it's it's. I don't know. I I I just see it in a bit of a wider context, and maybe I read fight you know way too much into those things. And maybe there's listeners out there who tear my hair out when I talk about it. But I just it feels like almost like a Trojan horse for other things to mm. me. That's, I just can't really get on board with that. That's one of my concerns, and it's one that is a, it's a bit of a, a, a cliche at this point to say so. But if you could fast-forward me 10 years and prove to me that Harry Kane had played 45 games a season instead of 60, or he'd sp- spread 50 games over a slightly bigger period, and he went into a World Cup fitter, I might revise my view a little bit. Mm. If like, if I believed Which in the motivations behind that's it, what, I'd be more. That's more... what makes me think that we that maybe I and therefore you we are just looking at this selfishly because then we would change our mind again if it pleased us again. So I, I find it hard to criticise Premier League managers for wanting it and being selfish mm. and Premier League clubs. I, for, when I, I think where that way. where that comes into play, Dan, is that it, we where we don't have a right to to make demands is is when it comes to the health of the players. Yes, and that's that's where I'm. I know I'm in the wrong to an extent, where I will mm. say that it is selfish. But I want the clubs to take control of of their players. Question two, and. I'm going to say this to you both now before any of us answer. We need to just be slightly careful because we're talking about something, the details of which are quite sketchy in some areas. But how comfortable are we with Wolves' success this season, given the business model behind the club? Chris? Are we swearing tonight? (laughs) No. If I'm not allowed to swear about the winter break, you're not allowed to swear about Wolves. Um I, I do need to be careful uh, also not to base my view on bias in this situation because hmm. um, being a supporter of the team that can be said to be a part of the chasing pack at worst at the moment, um, then the potential is there for, for my club to be one of the ones that misses out on promotion as a byproduct of what's happening at Wolves. Um, but I, I will say this. I would be more than happy for Wolves to win all but one game between now and the end of the season. <laughs> Any game in particular or Yeah, the Villa game. Um <laughs> I'm I'm very comfortable for uh Wolves to take points off everybody else at this point because I don't think there's going to be too many teams that fancy the, themselves to to catch them. It's it's really not good and I I'm I'm not comfortable with it at all. I think the model is um, not acceptable. I think the uh, level of input that's that's known and accepted uh, from Mendes is not acceptable. You know, that's not accusing anybody of doing anything that's um, not above board and out in the open. I think what we are aware of and the football league has okayed is wrong, um, because I think the influence is is fairly obvious right um i've had some of these players in my ibwm 100 groups over the years and Mm. 
having seen them play uh, in various places, most notably in, in both of their cases, Portugal, uh, Ruben Neves and Diego Jota, do they really want to play for Wolves? Like, would they, let's let's be clear: would they be there if it weren't for the situation that the club has has allowed itself to be put in? Um, so it's to me, it's just it's the artifice that that I struggle with. I, I can't be angry with a club being wealthier than another club if it were just that. Um, but it it's a, it's jarring to see such quality players and and you would assume a quality manager as well to be airlifted into a club on the basis of something that isn't the club itself. Um, and it's it's that artificial element that I tend to dislike in all of these situations, and it's it's absolutely not personal um, or not specific to Wolves. Um, certainly around Europe, similar situations are, are more damaging and in uh, more established at this stage already as well. Mm. So I'm I'm not comfortable with it, and it's it's not about holding it against Wolves as such. If if anything. It's a bit of concern for Wolves long term. Yeah. There's an element of the conversations we've had about the Chelsea loan system here that it's not the club involved. It's the the system that has allowed this situation to happen that really needs looking at. I I, I hate this expression because I don't think it covers what, what's happening and it puts way too negatively a slight on it. But I think at the end of the day, we do have a financially doped Premier League. Yeah. This is just essentially the same thing in the championship. So I think it's a bit rich to to sit there and moan about it. But there is something not quite right when you see players. I mean, I I saw quite a bit of, of Neves in Portugal. And there is no way he should be playing <laughs> in the second tier of a... Of, no. In any country in Europe. Ruben Neves cha- uh, captained Porto in the Champions League at 18 years old. Yeah, and I mean he is—he is, he is a, a utterly—he's—he's he's a class act. He really is. I mean, Liverpool were desperate to buy him before he moved to Wolves. I mean, that statement in and of itself is mad, isn't it? And I think I sort of sit broadly with where you are, Chris, in that I'm not overly comfortable with it, but at the same time, I—I I also understand there's a you know complete hypocrisy involved in that, and I don't think it's anything personal to to Walsh, really. Dan, where do you sit with this? I, I might sound like I'm being just deliberately devil's advocate tonight, but I am going to again be devil's advocate on this issue. I, firstly, it's within the rules as defined by the Football League and. You can think those rules are nonsense, but there are nonsense rules. There are a lot of nonsense rules, and I wouldn't actually start with that one. Uh, I'd start with a fit and proper person rules for ownership before I looked at this. Um, I kind of think it's worth remembering now that we've pretty much exhausted um, the idea of the romantic tale of small club makes it good now. I think, pretty much. Mm. I think if you scratch beneath the surface, you know, we did it with the Leicester thing and scratch beneath the surface of everything, you will find something that is not holier than thou. Um, like my my obvious example as well as Leicester is Bournemouth. You know, Bournemouth are funded basically by Maxine Demian, who's a who's a billionaire. 
and they are the smallest club in the Premier League. So there isn't there are those stories aren't there anymore. Um, I also think agents agents have a sway in clubs. Wolves have just made it. Chris used the word explicit, and that's exactly what they've done. Although they they've also hidden slightly behind that um, because of the rules of of agent um, control within clubs. But you know, Mina Raiola has. At Manchester United has Sergio Romero, Henrik Mkhitaryan, Paul Pogba, Romelu Lukaku, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. That is not a coincidence. At PSG, had Ibra, he had Verratti, or he's got Verratti, he had Matuidi, he had Maxwell. Again, that's not a coincidence. Agents do have sway in clubs because they control the destiny of, of players and that's how it works. And I almost look at it the complete opposite way and say... Hang on a minute, if that's allowed, why the hell aren't every club doing that? Why the hell, how stupid is it that a club did not think, actually, if we get into bed with the the agent that's got the biggest crop of players, we're going to go up to the Premier League here. And that's kind of where I'm at with it. I I am annoyed by it and I do not like it, but I suspect that part of that is pure jealousy on the part of a a fan of a club that's got a billionaire owner and had a billionaire owner and, and still manages to look like they might go down to League One. So, I just... I don't know. Uh, the other thing, the the final point I should say is that as fans, I think we make the mistake of, of seeing this agent control as bad for the game, which it might well be. It, we also kind of think, oh, poor players being controlled by these agents. By the way, these players are, are fine with that. You know, Mino Aiello is the good example. He is friends with his clients. They love him. They love what he does for them. They love the money he gets them. They love the sway he has. I don't. I, I can't speak for Jorge Mendes and players like Nevers, but I think it's the same. I think they really like it. So, I don't know. I I I want to hate it, but I I am almost you know I've almost got admiration for it. It's the second yeah. tierness of it. I think it's that's where yes. what I mean by the artifice of it. We all know all of this stuff goes on, but a load of quality players dropping in at Man United, um, it's the mechanism that's different to how it used to be. Yeah, but airlifting I mean, players into the, the second division is weird to me. Players who could, yeah. players who yeah, could be is. higher, like he's dropping yeah. them down below their level because of the influence he has at Wolves. But then, but then we've got a, yeah. the thing is, is Manchester United fans, and I understand why they do it because they're a massive club and they don't want to feel like they're being used by an agent. But they therefore persuade themselves that um, player X has always wanted to join their club. You know, they they want to play here because you know Sanchez did it. Oh, it's because it's the biggest club in the world. Like the obvious statement, and fans lap that up, and and, and players know that, and agents know that. But it's not a million miles away. You know, it's it's your agent going. I think this will be a good place for you. And, and Wolves know they're getting played here. They know that yep. if Neves is brilliant, then they sell him for forty million. Perfect. Not an issue, is it? Mm. You know, they win both ways. Mm. I should say, I, I am keen to avoid the bias thing here because it's it's so close, and it, it, it might it might change before the podcast actually goes out. But my club is second to Wolves in the Championship at the moment. Yeah, I don't think Wolves are in the wrong here because, technically speaking, they're not. Yeah. No, that's that's exactly what I said. It's not. It it's the mechanism by which this has happened that I think I'm uncomfortable with way more than I feel anything towards Wolves themselves. I mean, I to be perfectly honest, with you, I'm probably broadly speaking closer to Dan's view than than yours, if anything, Chris. That I I do think this is this is modern football, <laughs> like it or not. Mm. This is this is how 
modern football is. This is how modern football works. And, I, you know, the flip side of that is, Chris, I think you're absolutely right. It is the second tierness of this, which feels strange, that feels different, that feels somehow not quite right and makes it feel slightly uncomfortable. But I go back to what I said before. We, we have... Uh, you know, and again, I do hate this, but we do have a financially dope top tier, so I don't really have a massive issue with a, a sort of I don't know how you'd call it, maybe a player doped second tier because I just haven't got any right to really. But anyway, um, transfer window has slammed shut because, of course, nobody closes it. Uh, speculate on who breaks the next transfer record and this can be a domestic one or a worldwide transfer record Daniel Story I think this is probably one of the hardest questions we've done because I've got absolutely no idea um, my instant thought was in terms of world transfer record is is Neymar breaking his own record and going to Real Madrid um, as the most likely partly because I think Real Madrid would like it to happen and I think Neymar might like it to happen and partly because I don't think there's another player currently playing who would command more than that. Um, in terms of the domestic, uh, English domestic record, 90 million at the moment, Pogba. Um, yeah, that could go. And the reason I say that could go is that plus 90 million, you don't necessarily, ridiculously, you don't necessarily need to be in the top five players in the world to break that. I think you do need to be in the top five players in the world to break 200 million. Um, thank God. Uh, so, I mean, the only, the, the four players I thought who would break it, possibly, would break 200 million, uh, would break, sorry, three players would break 200 million are Harry Kane, Kevin De Bruyne and Neymar. And I think Neymar's the only one likely to move um, in the next two years. Um, in terms of the British transfer record, I don't know, Lamar's talked about for a heck of a lot of money. Um and the other thing is, if it depends how high Man United want to go on their central midfielder, because given what we've just said about Mina Raiola, um, and I mentioned his name before, Marco Verratti is a is a Paris Saint Germain player and is a Raiola client, and I think would probably cost more than ninety million if Man United managed to buy him. So I don't. I mean, there's no you know there's no indication. I'm not ITK here. I'm not saying that they're after him, but they really want a really good central midfielder, and he is a really good central midfielder. So that's possibly one. But other than that, I think that's about it. Mm. Chris? Jack Grealish. <laughs> Grealish. Both. Both. <laughs> he looks really good again, doesn't he? Yeah, go on, argue against me. It's almost as if he has found his level, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Um, no, he, he he looks the absolute business again at any level. Um, I I. I think the reason I'm swerving it a little bit is because um, we have spoken about whether the 200 million was a, a sign of the times um, or a sign of the future. And I can't remember what I said about it. But what I feel like <laughs> right now is that if I had to bet on it, it would be unlikely that the world transfer record would go anytime soon. Uh, so nobody is is the answer to that. Harry Kane's an interesting one. Um I, I agree, Dan, that he would bring in that kind of cash. And I'm tempted to believe that if that kind of cash were incoming from a certain club in Spain, uh, then there's every possibility that it might happen. 
at some point in the future. I don't think he'd happen soon necessarily. I don't think he's itching for a move. I think it's obvious why. But I don't know. If someone shows up at your club with two hundred million quid, yeah, you might take the move on the chin, mightn't you? Especially if it was a Real Madrid. I there, there's uh, there's a couple of names. I mean, I I agree with everything you've just said, Chris. I agree with all the names you gave in your first answer, Dan. But there's a couple of other names I just want to throw in. I think if if Man City are serious and do launch some bid for. Uh, Eden Hazard, that's that British transfer record gone instantly because there's no way Hazard's moving for less than what, probably one one twenty as a minimum. Well, this is the thing: thought. none of us were expecting Neymar to move either, and it's 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 getting that move to happen that brings the money mm, in. So yeah. it would be something out, I, out of the blue, probably. Yeah. So I mean, if if mm. Hazard moves to a to another Brit to another British club. Because I'm I'm absolutely positive United, if if they even had a sniff that he was open to a move, I'm absolutely positive that United would be shoveling dump trucks full of money to drive up to his doorway. So that would be the British one gone in an instant, I think. But I I I I suspect Hazard's sights are set abroad, possibly in Madrid. Um. If I had to pick somebody who was who had a chance of breaking the next transfer record, I don't think Neymar will break it. I think he will engineer his potential move to Real Madrid in a different way, and um, I just can't see that transfer record going. But if we're talking about somebody who could be worth the money longer term outright, I think you've got to look at Kylian Mbappe, who has gone for this ridiculous loan for a season on the promise of paying hundreds of million pounds in the summer to make it permanent, etc. Um, I I slightly worried about this young man in terms of longer term because he that sort of transfer fee and the high profile nature of his career to date and and I mean he is absolutely bloody brilliant. I just hope he can fulfil can fulfil his potential longer term. And if he does fulfil his potential longer term, then he's the one I think you're probably looking at could well have a chance of getting close. So, yeah, anyway, moving on. Nice quick question, that, wasn't it? First first of not very many, yeah. Quite enjoyed it. (laughs) Um, For how long do we think Jose Mourinho will continue to be Manchester United's manager? Uh, and I'm going to go to our Premier League correspondent, Daniel Story, for this. <laughs> uh, this is a really weird answer, because I either think he'll last longer than I initially thought or shorter than I initially thought. I don't, he signed, a, I think, a three-year contract to start with, which has now been extended. But I don't think he will stay for three years, which is his, um, that's his standard. Um, I either think he'll stay shorter than that, i.e. halfway through next season if things are going badly, or he'll stay longer than that. And the reason I say longer than that, which is probably the more interesting bit, is that as I see it, second season Jose at Manchester United is doing thing are doing things that I didn't expect they would be. And I'm talking about repeated defensive mistakes of the same type, and that's both individual and kind of systematic mistakes. That's not looking fluid in attack. That's having key players who look like sometimes they don't know what the plan is. That's player having players out of position. All of those I so I can associate with the first season Jose side, but not normally with the second season. So how I 
see it very simply is that he's basically going to have achieved one season's worth of progress as it, according to expectation in the space of two seasons. Uh, I think if you if you'd have said at the end of season one, oh, Man United have finished 16 points behind the leaders and are going to be in the Champions League next season, you'd have gone, yeah, that's about right. Um, and that's probably what they're going to do this season. Uh, so therefore, everything else shifts along a season, I think. And I think he's he will stay another two years after this one to get get it done. And by get it done, I think he's probably now scaled that back to winning a Premier League title and probably just winning one, I think, in four years. Um, mm. And that doesn't include the Champions League. Um, that's not all his fault, but City have changed the game. Um, and I think Pep Guardiola in his first season found the Premier League harder than he would, you know, he would have liked to admit. I think he found the away games at places like, uh, you know, Burnley and Bournemouth and those sort of places harder than he had anticipated. I think he thought he'd, City would be able to play exactly as they wanted. But the weird thing about Jose is I think he's found this Man United job harder than he thought he was going to be. And, and he already had Premier League experience. He knew what he was walking into. Um, he he cannot say he's not been backed. I know he would like more and, and managers would always like more at elite clubs in terms of transfer spend. But he cannot say he's not been backed. He has had £70 million plus players in consecutive summers. He has been backed. Um, and I think he's just found it harder than he thought he was going to, which, as I say, I think everything just shifts along one. So my, if I had to guess, I'd say he will stay for four years. So he will have two seasons after this one. And I suspect he will stay until he wins a league title, which I don't think will be next season. I think it'll be the season after. And then he might just walk with his head held high at that point. And, and, and I think he'll probably think, I'm actually pretty lucky to have won one title here because he did not expect Pep Guardiola to be to just kind of outperform him as much as he has. I think the I, th- I think one of the big problems at, at Man United is that you're right. He's had had seventy million pound plus players in consecutive summers, and he's had Sanchez bought in. The problem is what they really need is those three or four sort of 40 to 50 million pound players yeah. which sounds completely uh i mean it sounds ridiculously decadent to say it but they 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 we, we're recording this we try to make these timeless but we're recording this just after they've lost one nil to newcastle with a back four of young smalling jones and valencia and that is in no way good enough it, mm. it just really yeah. isn't and the only- the thing about, it, it, just to interrupt Dave, sorry, Seth, I understand that excuse, but Mourinho improved, did improve players at previous clubs. You know, if, if we could very easily have been saying, bloody hell, Nicholas Otamendi and Fabian Dell, Fabian Dell's playing left-back, Otamendi's playing centre-back with Mangala at Manchester City, and yet they were still winning games. I just... Yeah, but I... I... I'm I'm very much the opinion, and it breaks my heart to say this, but the only thing that probably Im- improves Chris Smalling at this point is a rocket to the moon, and I think he's still playing. He's got two. You could argue he has improved Ashley Young. Um, yeah. You could argue he's improved Valencia because I mean Valencia was the best right back in the league last year, wasn't he? Yeah. If if we're honest, but it's it's that. It it's those huge. We've talked about it before, I think. And it, I think we were using Arsenal in context that when you have a first eleven with such huge gaps in talent from position to position, it's it's difficult because if you're uh, Mourinho, to me looks like a man who can't 
get his he can't get his defenders to do what he wants and defend the way he wants. He can't build a platform for his attackers to do what he wants or to take them off the leash, which is what people are baying for and people think will sort all their problems out. He hasn't got the central midfielder that can unleash Paul Pogba consistently because Matic has, has run out of steam. Herrera he doesn't trust. Michael Carrick is, is too old now. And I just think, I think the... the the team's a little bit broken and I, I squarely place the blame at that from an outsider's perspective looking in at the transfer policy at Manchester United and Mourinho is pro- probably one of only two managers in the world who should be able to go to whatever club he is and say you're doing this all wrong and change that and he's not mm. which makes me feel like he's he's not quite got the 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 fire in his belly that he's had before he's not quite got the uh the 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 sort of backbone to go and do it and in terms of the actual question itself how long do we think we'll continue to be manchester united's manager keep looking at that psg job in the summer i, I really mm. do because i just i think psg are in a very funny position i mean if they go out um if they go out of the Champions League to Real Madrid, uh, their season would be an absolute disaster. I think they'll progress. I think they'll be all right. Um, but they are very much a club that is is has no domestic challenge, so it's built around yeah, a challenge in Europe. And I think they'll be looking at a manager who sort of fits their status. And I, I looking at the way they approach getting Neymar into their club. If they want Mourinho in the summer, they they could get him. I think they could get him. And we've already had those silly little flirtations and my son wants to live in Paris and all that absolute garbage. So mm. so who knows? Who knows? But I, I again, I mean, it's rare this happens, but broadly speaking, I think I'm probably along your lines, Dan, I think. Can I just say, lied. Dave, I, um, I went on the... Uh, this is This story sounds less... Uh, self-obsessed than it is from the starting line. I went on Totally Football Show on Monday and I said the phrase uh, it's like pop and crisps. Oh, and I thought, excellent. I thought, you know what? I need to go home and chastise myself for your influence well, In what context? Uh, Lunch. I think I said it. I think I said um, we were talking about PSG and I think I said the league is pop and crisps. Oh, it's pop and crisps. Sir. <laughs> oh, in David Hartrick influencing the game, uh, Chris. <laughs> I honestly have no idea. Uh, I if it weren't for the extension to his contract, I might be looking at this the other way to, to how you've looked at it, which I, I think um, just about has been how long before Mourinho decides not to be Manchester United's manager. Um, I, I think for all of the the very respectable realism amongst Manchester United support and I think they've been pretty good considering um, at not expecting a title not expecting to have massive improvements over last year um, and they're very clear that at the start of this season it wasn't about winning the Champions League and league title double for them um, and, and, and I think they've been fairly realistic about where they're setting their sights However, I don't know how much longer Manchester United as an institution um, 
will settle for fighting for second, third and fourth place. And I don't think they've got a realistic hope of getting first for a little while yet. Uh, and I think that Mourinho, when things aren't going to plan, those relationships get very sour very quickly. I think, and weirdly... That, the, sorry, go on. I think, I think they could get rid of him. Uh, and and I, I think if it weren't for that contract extension, I'd be questioning his ability to see out this season. Uh, so I think with that difference, depending on how next season goes, I, I could see him going before the end of next season one way or another. Now that may be in his control, that may be PSG, but I think with United giving him the side eye a little bit as well at some point in the future, I, I can't see it, Dan. I can't see I can't see four yeah. years. Yeah. I think the one of the biggest drivers of him staying, and, and again, given what we talked about, about Manchester United in terms of players, it wanting to be seen that people want to be there because they're Manchester United. I think one of the the biggest drivers for him staying is his his ego and him not wanting to concede defeat to Pep Guardiola because if he leaves this this summer, whether if City don't win the Champions League or not, but if he leaves English football this summer, it can only be with his tail between his legs. And even Mourinho, in terms of his network of journalists and his spiel, we cannot sell that as a positive. He cannot sell it as anything other than accepting defeat. And I, I suspect that's one of the biggest drivers him staying. Mm. I just, I, he looks different to me. His yeah, body language is not the same. The uh, coming out with the stuff in the press comments about behaving himself and stuff, it, it just, he just doesn't feel like Jose Mourinho anymore. No, I'm not, I, I don't know if that's a permanent change or or not who you know nobody does at the moment but it just doesn't feel right and there was a a, a tweet from um united run after the newcastle game i saw on sunday that said jose is just phoning it in at the moment he's he's about 75 percent of the manager he was now i'm not a united fan I, i'm not completely diligent on everything they do so i'll take his word for it but it it does feel like that from the outside it, it does feel like there's something missing and you know as I said PSG have had everything but the manager that befits their status so far in their meteoric rise and perhaps this is the summer that they decide to go out and do it and their pursuit of Neymar just showed how ruthless they are so who knows mm. who knows really United fans are broadly behind him and, and- Defensive of him still, aren't they, from what I can tell? Yeah, yeah, they are. And and, and actually, not just in a weird tribal social media no, way, no. but also in a in a quite a surprising way, actually. I mean, I know Neville said that thing about standing against the immediacy of modern life, blah, 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 blah. But actually, the fact they had Fergie for so long, I would have suggested would, would increase impatience if when a new manager came in. But I think I think there is a kind of a, a kind of unspoken truth that if not him then like City did with Guardiola you know it was always going to happen it was just a case of when and if this fails it kind of leaves not just a big gap in the future but also kind of thinks well what were we preparing for it was just this but mm. the, the Pochettino at United makes a, a massive amount of sense longer term it, it really does but right now you wouldn't get him out of Tottenham I don't think 
not even for the United job. So there is a reality to be faced for Man United, which is who else do they go and get? There's there's, yeah. <laughs> there's such a dearth of really top line managers, and that is an absolute monster of a job. There's just a reality to be faced by um, Man United fans that they they're really they're not going to get Pep, who's perhaps the only person. <laughs> Who could who could change things instantly? They're not going to get Poch, who's the one who could change things longer term. It's mm. it's they just have to at the moment. It's just a case of of taking your medicine. Um, question number five, and it's one of our apropos of sweet FA questions. Favorite ever Dutch international goal, Chris Nee. Favorite's not really the word, but I'm going for Dennis Bergkamp's goal against England in 1993 at Wembley. Um, which absolutely it, it was with England 2 0 up, goal. and it was uh, a clipped ball from midfield. I can't remember who it was. Was it Walters, Dave? He played the ball, thrown uh, out. Yeah, sorry, let's move on. I can't Pass. remember. Um, yeah, and it, it just it didn't quite drop over Burkamp's shoulder, but it was that style of volley. And when you see those volleys generally, um. The only way of executing them is to catch it perfectly and absolutely smash it. This one somehow was watched overish the shoulder and then deftly volleyed over the keeper into the corner. It wasn't smashed, there was no no power on it at all. It was almost just redirected. And it was just an absolute thing of beauty. It was a wonderful goal, great technique, and uh, a pretty significant sign of what was to come from a, a genuinely brilliant player. Hmm. I think you've just brushed over something there, Chris. To be honest with you, I think you've just you've just said great technique. I actually think this is near perfect yep. piece of technique. I think it's just as somebody who has had that chance in a couple of games in his career and never done what Dennis Bergkamp did or got within a million miles of doing what Dennis Bergkamp did. I think it's just a staggering goal. It's not. It's um, not a lobbing opportunity. No, it's a no. hit and a volley as hard as you can opportunity if you can catch it. But it's also not an opportunity to spot where the goalkeeper is and no. be able to uh, to place accordingly. It's just, it's an unreal, unearthly sense of time, place, mm. everything. It's just, it's it's a magnificent goal. And um, he meant it. Dan has a yeah, unlike the Newcastle goal. Um, Dan wow. has a bit of a Dan has a bit of a list. <laughs> um, Dan has a bit of a list, so I'll quickly do mine. And it is, of course, 1988, the volley to end all volleys, a genuinely iconic football moment, Marco Van Basten versus the USSR. Absolutely no right to score from there, which is one of my favourite football expressions. Uh, Absolutely no right to hit it that hard and be able to keep it down and get it to dip over the far side. Absolutely nothing the keeper could do about it because it's just passed him so quickly. Absolutely outrageous to even think about it, let alone try it, let alone pull it off, let alone do it in a European Championship final. Just a staggering goal. And it's there are a, a collection... That me and Dan have spoke about this before when Dan's obsession with Henrik Larsson's Celtic goals and my obsession with various Johan Cruyff videos and other things... There are there are desert island disc football goals in your life that you will always come back to, always enjoy, always see in your mind's eye, and that is most definitely one of mine. Dan, 
Uh, yeah, I'll go through the little list. Uh, there is, of <laughs> course, the other Bergkamp goal, which if Ryan was here, I think he'd have probably taken the... Uh, yeah. the Danish Bergkamp! Danish one, Bergkamp! Indeed. Um, <laughs> there is the... Uh, well, there's both of Ari Hahn's goals in the 1978 World Cup. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. The one against yeah. Italy's... The one against Italy's kind of famous one because it was absolutely... It was from way back. Um, but the one against... West Germany is weird as well because the keeper I don't know I don't know if it had swerve so much swerve in it but the keeper doesn't even dive he just kind of runs along his line like a goalie from sort of a, like a Sega Mega Drive game from back in the day but um, yeah they were both good uh, honourable shout for Marco, Mark Van Bommel's goal against England at I think White Hart Lane when he he kind of absolutely thwacked it basically um, yeah. but if but we're it going Mark Van Bommel so we're not giving him credit for anything fine uh, there's Robin Van Persie's header. Uh, yes, his. I mean, for pure difference, that's amazing. But if we're going for a thwack, then my favourite is Van Bronckhorst against Uruguay in the third place playoff. Uh, yeah, it is a very much a third place playoff goal because he's just he thought, well, I might as well hit it. There's nothing stopping me hitting it. I might as well hit it, and it goes so into the top corner that you almost think the ball's going to burst when it hits the corner because it's just, oh, it's beautiful. Um, I don't normally like screamers. I kind of think they're just hitting hopes and that was a hitting hope, but it was still beautiful. The um, Marcello Salas scored a goal at Wembley, which is one of the, yeah. the best goals ever scored against England, enhanced by two absolutely stellar uh, camera angles that Van Bronckhorst strike is enhanced by the camera angle from behind the goal that's that ends up it's like you're looking down the barrel of a gun yes it just absolutely. comes comes at you from a million miles away and the ball just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and, bigger. and every time you see it you realize how hard it it would be to be yeah. a goalkeeper, don't you? <laughs> what and chance absolutely top draw, despairing dive. Absolute <laughs> dictionary definition of despairing dive there. So, lovely what, stuff. Dave, that Salah's goal was even better in person. <laughs> Were you there? I was there. I was nice. watching on Sky Sports, enjoying the no less than eight camera angles they had <laughs> of it, Chris. Uh, <laughs> Damn. Right. Lovely stuff. One podcast knocked off for you under fifty minutes. Have some of that. We'll uh, see you next week, and it's uh, it's a biggie next week. It's one of our tournament pods, and we're covering a lovely old tournament. To be fair, uh, so we shall see you all then. See you there. Bye bye.